0: Good morning. How's everyone? Good. All right. Are you guys ready for Christmas coming up? No. No? It's too fast. Boy, it's good. These are just rich times. It's good to be here. Um, let's, Let's pray. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you. And Lord, we know that. The times here, uh, when we get together, we know that they are precious to you because they give you praise, they give your son praise. And so, Father, we pray you would help us to listen, help you preach, help us to hear your word. Lord, uh, we want to hear from you. We want to celebrate what your son has uh, has done for us and to remember uh, how he gave himself for us. We pray, Father, that you would help us to hear your word. Jesus name, Amen. 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 Why are you a Christian? Why are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? That's a question to ask first. If you are, why are you a Christian? Christian, why are you saved? Why do you want to pursue Christ and share? his gospel. And here's a question I have for you. How did you get here? I don't mean by driving. I don't mean by train or plane. I'm asking, how did you guys get here? You ever just look across, talk to your wife, talk to your husband, look, talk to uh, your co-worker and say, how in the world did we get here? To be frank, I did not plan this for my life. And I pretty much guarantee you didn't plan this for yours. In myself, I would have never chosen this. I probably would have been a marine biologist or something. Jumping in the water. If you told me that in 2015 a team would be formed that would start a church and that I'd be a pastor, I would have laughed at you. I didn't even want to be a Christian. See, every time someone shared the gospel, I would cringe. I knew that the gospel demanded that I give my life to Christ, and I didn't want it. I wanted to do my own thing. I wanted to serve myself. I was too busy sinning. I never would have chosen Christ. I never would have planned this life. And the same is for you. You did not have this planned, and yet it happened. What accounts for your change? What accounts for the change when someone is walking one way in their lives and is stopped by Christ and turns around? What accounts for that? What accounts for the change when maybe I'm with my best friends uh, in high school. I had uh, two good, really close friends of mine. We both sat in the same place. We both heard the same gospel, and they didn't hear it. Do you know what I mean? They didn't receive Christ. They weren't changed. And I I was. And it wasn't a difference in the preacher. It wasn't a change in the person. It wasn't a change in the message. What happens? Was it you? Did you come to some understanding on your own? Did you finally decide? If you didn't plan this, how did it happen? How did you, a rebel, become a worshiper? Well, we would have never pursued Christ. The Bible says that man, apart from Christ, is in rebellion to God. Man is described as being an enemy of God. And yet, in Romans 3, it says, There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become useless. There's none who does good. There's not even one. How, then, is anyone saved? Look at Ephesians chapter 1. This section, in verses 3 to 14, we're only going to take three verses, okay? We're going to go from 3 to 6, okay? Let me read it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, This answers the question, how were you changed? Because you would have never chosen him. How how were you going one way and now you're going another? How is your life being radically different, radically changed such that your family, your friends see you and they say, what happened to you? Why are you doing this? Well, God gives this passage. He gave this passage to you this morning so that you would glorify the Father For planning your salvation. He connects here glorifying and giving praise to the Father for planning your salvation. Now, your heart should explode with worship and joy because of God's sovereign planning of your salvation. His planning demonstrates two very distinct relational qualities that are unique to God. No one can love you like this God. No one can care for you like this Father. No one can be connected to you like God. It is distinct. Only God can relate to you in such a way. Only God should get the praise. Now, the first quality that God's planning of your salvation demonstrates is his divine commitment. Now, before I go on, I want to give you a little bit of a background as we've been going through these verses in Ephesians, okay? He writes this book, Paul writes this book to the Ephesian believers because he wants them to live, and that's our theme, to live richly in Christ. He wants to tell them of all that God has done for them so that their faith and their character would be strong. Notice in verse 15, okay? Verse 15, Paul says this, For this reason, I too, having heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, I, don't give th- I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom, and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Verse 18. Here's Paul's desire. Here's Paul's prayer. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power to us who believe. What Paul wants you to know, to be filled with, to be secured with, is that you have a hope. And it says here, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance to the saints? That you would be so full of Christ, that you would be so full and so secure of God's love for you, that it says here that you could walk according to his strength and his might. So Paul's prayer here is that you'd be filled with Christ. Secondly, it's not just being filled. He doesn't want you to just have an affection. He doesn't want you to just have love. He doesn't want you to just have a security in Christ, and then that's it. He says in chapter 4, verses 1 to 2, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you. And here's where the rubber hits the road. This is why why it counts, and this is why this is worthy of our meditation. This is worthy of me understanding and uh, receiving this. He says here, because I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, sowing diligence to one another, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. In other words, he he connects these two desires. He wants you to be so filled, and Paul knows, all these kind of requirements that are given to the quish- Christian. It cannot be accomplished unless you are sure and secure in what God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit has done for you. Because when you do that, and when you see the glory of God in what He's done for you, then you say, well, I got to walk in a manner worthy of Him. I've got to live in a way that matches His glory, that matches His wonder, that matches why He has called me. And so Paul brings these two together, and he gives us he gives us this uh, imperative of rich living in Christ. But in this section here, if you notice, here's an amazing section. We're going to go through it uh, um, through the weeks. But it says here in verse three, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ." And then that section ends in verse 6. Notice he says, "To the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. So that's the first portion. And he unfolds kind of what Andre was alluding to. He unfolds how the triune Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, was involved in your salvation. And then he says this in verse 7. In him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of his trespasses. That is the son according to the riches of his grace. And he ends that in verse 12. To the end which we were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. Verse 13 says in him after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of his inheritance. Look at the end. To the praise of his glory. So the three sections here are talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They all end in praise to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so the whole thrust of this passage is to give praise to God for what he has done. Christians, don't let this be old hat to you. Don't let this get old. Don't let this be like a crusty piece of bread. This should be rich and feeding to your soul. But notice, number one, let me talk about verses 3 and 4, since we're only going to go to 3 to 6, okay? Verses 3 to 4. Worship God because of His divine commitment to you. Worship God because of His divine commitment commitment to you you notice we say divine commitment and you might look at the text and say well angelo i don't see the word commitment are you adding it no simply by what god does by virtue of what he does you see his commitment to his people look at verse three blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ before we go on Paul starts give him praise Laud God the Father. Give Him honor. But here's what's amazing. He says, God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And He puts Him on par with the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him. Now, here is an incredible, incredible phrase, okay? Just as He chose us in Him. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's the point, okay? We're talking about God's electing decision to have His affection on you. And before time began, you have to think about this. He says, before the foundation of the earth, before the the clock started ticking, He, with the Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ, okay, as they moved all together, and as they planned, and as they counseled in their holy council, your planned salvation was discussed in His divine council. Okay, He says, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Then He says, He, Father, chose us in Him. Now, here is amazing amazing point you mean to say this yes this is it in the divine council of the godhead before time began before you did any good works you understand before you did any sin before the world was created before history began before there was even plants animals everything okay in the council of god in a meeting that you were not invited to. Do you understand? The highest, highest counsel. Okay? God the Father says, You know, Andre, Andre, Enriquez. I'm gonna set my affection on him. Son, he talks to the son. He says, Son will you bleed for him and he says yes i will spirit will you come and seal him yes i will okay he settled next do you understand who else should we select and he goes over over do you understand this do you understand the ramifications see this should cause us to tremble he goes he goes and he says that rena panis She'll never turn to me apart from Christ. But we're going to make it so that she will be tender to the gospel. And we'll bring her. And that scoundrel Manny (laughs) Panis. Right? We're going to set our affection on him. I'm going to save him. Christ, will you bleed for him? I will bleed for him. I will bleed for him. Spirit, will you go get them? Yeah, I'll go get them. It was in the divine council. Let me show you, okay? This is crazy, okay? John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Look at this kind of language. You remember in John chapter 8, before the world was, I am. Before Abraham was. Remember, Jesus said that. Before Abraham was, I am, stressing his eternality. John chapter 1 said what? Before the, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was what? With God, and the Word was God. Okay? And so that stresses Jesus' eternality. But you notice, Jesus alludes to this conversation that has occurred before time. John chapter 10, verse 27. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. And I know them. Knowing, he uses the term not for knowing facts. He uses the term knowing as in relational knowing. I know them relationally. And they follow me. And I give eternal life to them. And they shall never perish. And no one shall snatch them out of my hand. Look at verse 29 very carefully. My father, who what? Has. Given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Here's what Jesus is saying. There is this select group of people who would have never turned to God, who would have never given their lives to Christ, who would have chased after their own pleasures. And he says, I will choose those people I will grab them. They are my elect. I'm going to give them to you, Christ, every single one of them. And for every single one of them, would you bleed for them, please? And Christ voluntarily gives himself to bleed for this particular people. And the Holy Spirit looks at the particular people and says, I'm going to go get those particular people. And that's why Ephesians keeps saying, To the praise of the glory of God. It was all His work, brothers and sisters. Your salvation, your calling, your gifting, uh, the propitiation on the cross, the Holy Spirit coming to you, convicting you of, of your sin, it was all His. And that's why no one can stand. That's why you can't say, oh, it was when I decided... It's when I chose, I'm the one. God gave the one vote, the devil gave another vote, and then I gave the casting vote. No, brothers and sisters, he chose you before the foundation of the world. Notice John 17, he talks again. Look at this language, this rich Notice he says here, verse four, seventeen four. And we know he's talking about eternity, eternity, eternity past. Chapter four, I glorified you on the earth. Uh, chapter seventeen, verse four. I'm sorry. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Verse five. Now, Father, he says this, glorify me together with yourself. With the glory which I had with you, when? When did he say it? Before the world was. So Jesus is already talking about eternity past. I had glory. We had a rich relationship. uh, And we still have that relationship, the Father and the Son, right? And he talks about that. But notice in verse 24, okay? Verse 24. He says, Uh, Let's look at 22. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one just as we are. I and them and you and me that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Look at verse 24. Here Jesus says it again. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me for you love me before the foundation of of the world. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me. Brothers and sisters, every single Christian and every single person in here who is a saved, born-again saint was in the conversation of the divine counsel of God the Father, and he brought your name have you ever worked for companies where the CEO doesn't even know your name? Oh, I've worked for companies. like, Who are you? I'm just a file clerk. Just That's all I am. Just don't bother me, okay? I'm just a file clerk. Or the medical director doesn't even know your name. That's not how it is with you, brothers and sisters. He's committed to you look at uh, Ephesians Ephesians go back to Ephesians chapter 1 Ephesians chapter 1 notice it was out it was a sovereign act the word there just as he chose us the word there means to select or to pick out it's used many times in the in the New Testament. Someone simply just picks for his own pleasure. Now, why do we need to be picked? Why do we need to be picked? Well, we don't have to go very far. Even in the book of Ephesians, it'll tell us the story. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Of the Spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them too, we also formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh. Look at verse 2. Verse 1. You were dead. We had no response. If, in fact, it was left to us, our choice would always be something else other than God. Or it would be a picture of God that is not biblical. A God that is not what the God of the universe really is. And the Bible says we are dead. We have no feeling for God, no desire for God, no response to God. Even if there is an exposure of truth, we have to be made alive. And that's what it says in verse 4. We were spiritually dead. Second, that's the reason why election was necessary. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17. He's not painting a pretty picture. But look at verse 17. He had a darkened mind. It says here, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer, just as the gentles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God. This is what we were. We didn't understand. We were ignorant. Things of God didn't make sense to us. We could could possibly repeat the mantra. We could repeat what doctrine it was. But it didn't make sense. It didn't tie into our lives. We're darkened. And that's why God had to choose us. Also, we had a hard heart. Look at verse 18. Because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of our heart. Not only did we not understand, we didn't want to understand. Our hearts didn't desire after God. That's where I was at. And brothers and sisters, if we were to sit around in a circle, we could probably all share the same story. I was a rebel and I didn't want to follow God. But God arrested me and softened my heart. He gave me light to understand in my mind and he softened my heart. Look at verse 19. Verse 19 says, And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Look, at they gave themselves. Their will was to give themselves to sin. In other words, you've got, you are dead in your sins, apart from Christ. Your hearts were hardened, your mind is darkened, and your will is rebellious. And all of those things come together; no one would ever choose God. God had to choose you. He had to notice he says here verse back in verse four, just as he chose us in him, and all through this passage, let's just follow it. it says verse four in him, blameless before. Him, verse five. Through Jesus Christ, verse seven. In Him, verse uh, uh, verse nine. In Him, verse eleven. In Him, uh, His will, verse twelve. Christ, verse thirteen. In Him, all through it. Even though that there are different economies of what God has done, God the Father has planned your salvation. God the Son has purchased your salvation. And God, the Holy Spirit, has protected your salvation. Even though all through that they have a different economy, woven through it is the Son in Him. In Him, because He is our key. He is our access. Without Christ, we don't get any of the blessings. Without Christ, Christ, nothing is open to us. We need the blood. Even if we were elected, do you understand? Even if we were elected, there is still animosity between us and God the Father. There has to be a payment for sin. And that's why Paul just keeps saying, in him, in him, in him. And that's why we keep stressing, christ centeredness focusing on Christ, right? Before the foundation of the world. Notice he says here also that your election was before time, but that also your election has a purpose, and that was to be his people. He says, holy and blameless. The word therefore holy means to be separate, set apart for him. And what God desires is that he would make a people, call out a people out of darkness, and make a people for himself. In other words, brothers and sisters, God is committed to you. He's committed to you. He chose you. He had a meeting about you. He talked to the Son about you. Now, you could still just hold that, and sometimes people take this doctrine of election and say, well, now this is my doctrine, and I'm going to go ahead and beat someone on the head with it because that's what you do, or I'm going to argue this doctrine No, this doctrine was not meant for you just to argue theological facts. This doctrine was meant for you to believe and to be secure and to give praise. But brothers and sisters, you can't praise God unless you're secure in Him. Do you understand? You can't praise Him until you're secure in Him. Now, when you are in sin, and you've sinned against him. And you come back and you repent. But there are times, have you ever been there where you've sinned? And you know that Christ has forgiven you. You know that the blood has been spilt for you. But you allow yourself, because you love yourself too much, you start thinking about, oh, I'm so evil. I'm so bad. I really, really messed up. I really did it. I think God is just going to cast me away forever. I think he was wrong when he saved me. I think he got it messed up. I think it should have been someone else because I'm such a failure. I keep messing up. I keep sitting in this way. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you, he is not going to change his mind about you. It's been settled and decreed. It's over. There is no one, and this is why Paul says, Who could bring a charge against his elect? No one in the universe, brothers and sisters. Not even your failures. Not even your own hidden sins. Oh, is this free? this is going to cause you to not want to sin, right? I want to follow you. How does it strengthen you? Well, this gives strength as well. The doctrine of election gives strength as well. How? When you're scared. It gives you courage and strength when you're scared. Why? Because now there is sense there is a sense of mission Brothers and sisters, do you feel that now? I'm here, but this is not a random act. This is not just some molecules that got thrown together, and I, I'm just a, I just evolved from monkeys out of the primordial ooze from the ocean, and we just kind of just kind of landed in San Diego, and I'm gonna live my life, and then die, and then my molecules will go into the earth and disappear. No. See, this gives a sense of mission. How? Because if God has really elected you into salvation, he has elected you as well to the works that you will do. Doesn't that sound like Ephesians chapter 2? For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not as yourselves. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. And then he says, what, what does it say? For, verse, chapter 10, or v- chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship. Look at this, guys. Look at this text. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, when, where, they, planned. Which God prepared beforehand, so what? We could walk in them. Brothers and sisters, this election gives you a sense of mission. That I was chosen for this particular time and space, with this particular gifts, even though I am not a perfect man, a perfect woman, a perfect teenager, a perfect adolescent, even though I am not, I have been chosen for this. God planned that I would do this. God used me. He gives you courage. You saved me, God. You changed me. You brought me here, God. You do your work. What about when you're rejected? When you're rejected. Say you get passed over on the promotion. Or say you have a friend and you've fallen out with that friend and they no longer want to be. I remember when I was first saved, I had these friends, and then they didn't want to hang out anymore because I didn't want to run with them. Right? And I was rejected. I was rejected. from them. Now, the question is, right, what about when you're rejected? Have you ever been rejected? Have you ever been betrayed? Brothers and sisters, let me tell you. Okay? There's a God in heaven who will never, Ever reject you? Why the council has decided? God the Father has picked. Now this is enormously helpful. How this is enormously helpful in relationships. In relationships where you might feel insecure. In relationships where perhaps there has been a broke a breaking. Okay, um, even in. Uh, I'm going to just say this to encourage you, okay? Even our single folks here, okay? If there is a rejection of you and your heart was set on the relationship, but you've been rejected, God says, you know what? That's never, ever going to happen with me. You're secure. You're full. Now, so first, how does knowing God planned your salvation, how does that affect your life? Why should we glorify God for planning your salvation? Number one, here's the first reason. Worship God because of His divine commitment. Shows that he has a commitment that will not change, that will not be altered. He's not going to revoke. He says, Ah, you were kind of elected. I'm going to unelect you now. That's not what he does with his people. Secondly, 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 worship God because of his divine intimacy with you. Worship God because of his divine intimacy. So he has planned your salvation and he has planned it in such a way that he would commit himself to a particular people, but also that he would commit to a certain degree of relationship. It's not just that he says, okay, I'm going to be your friend. We're going to be Facebook friends forever. I will never click reject friend. I will never click that. It's not that. Now God ups it. Do You understand? God says not only is it just oh we had to, we lost the lights okay not only is it just that God the Father is committed to this relationship with you but now it's that God the Father is wants to wants to let you know that he has planned the intimacy of the relationship the degree of the relationship you notice he says here In verse five, in love, he predestined us to adoption of sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed in the beloved. Now, number one, look at here, verse five. He says, "In love, the context here is love, okay? and that word there for love is our agape love again. And that agape love is a love that looks upon you and and uh, as the object of that love, sides. I will have a kind intention. I will have kindness. I will show mercy. I will love that object, whether or not that object loves me back. And that makes sense. Why? Because of election." Because election, we have no merit. We have no good works. We're not even created. We are fallen humanity in the mind of God. And what God says is, in love, because I love. I want to show my love. I want to express my love. I will, he says here, verse 5, predestine us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Now notice, he says, he... Predestined us. The word there means he had a definite plan. Now notice, in verse four he says he chose us. In verse five he says he predestined us. Verse four so, talks about our selection. Verse five talks about the design and the plan. And there was a design and a plan for your election, for your salvation. He says to adoption as sons, to adoption. As sons. He doesn't want you simply to be in relationship to him and to be some kind of far acquaintance. And he says, yeah, I remember my promise. I said I was going to do that for that person. He doesn't want that kind of relationship with you. He says, I want you to have an adoption as sons. Now we have to understand what does that mean. If you go to Galatians chapter 4, Galatians chapter 4, we'll understand a little bit about ancient... Um uh, New Testament time adoption. Notice he says in Galatians chapter four. Okay. Galatians chapter four. We have to understand a little bit about what adoption means. Okay. Adoption there has slightly a different nuance to it. Okay. Here in, in chapter and in chapter four, verse one. He says, now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of all everything. Okay, so what happens is, even if you are a physical son of the landowner, do you understand? He says, when you are below age, he says that you are treated even like a slave. Okay, that you have no rights, that you are under another teacher, they call them the pedagogue. Okay, or the tutor. This tutor sometimes was very cruel. He says here, he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. You notice there, there is a date set by the father. These guardians and these managers, sometimes they're very, very mean because they could be a person who was uh, won from a battle, from a war, they're taken as a slave, and they say, okay, now you're going to be my pedagogue. You're going to homeschool my kids for me. And so these are people who have been call, uh, taken out and, and they were slaves now, right? You have a slave in your house, okay? Very un American, right? You have a slave in your house, and you got, gotta imagine this person is bitter that you've defeated their people, okay? And there are accounts, even in uh, uh, the Greek times, of pedagogues like pinching ears or hitting with sticks. The kids, why? Because there's still that bitterness. Do you understand? And so Paul is talking about the pedagogue as the law, right? And he says here, so also we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that we might redeem those who are under the law. Then he says that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave but a son. If a son, then an heir through God. Now notice he says here, verse 2, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. What the father would do, this is what the family would do, okay? The son, as a child, had no rights. Okay? They'd get beaten up by their pedagogue. The father would largely ignore them. Why? Because they have a slave to take care of their kids. And what would happen is, the father would set a coronation time, okay? It's very much like a quinceanera or a debut. But it was much, it had much more emphasis and much um, uh, much more meaning to it. What it was is, when the son, who is even their physical son, you understand, you had to adopt them okay, when their son would go through this process, this coronation process, this uh, coming out process of the date set of the festival, then all the rights and the privileges of the landowner would now be given to the son. And so now it is a reversal of roles where the child used to do whatever the pedagogue said, right? Now, the son, the child is now considered just like the landowner, and they have all the rights and the privileges of the landowner. And now the pedagogue is fearful because now that time, uh, the the relationship is set different. And so now this this uh, this uh, this son can now join in on the decisions and the meetings. The son can now listen in onto the adult conversations. The son can now be part of the adult, uh, the adult table. Okay. In our in our in our condo, we have an adult table and we have a kid table. You you graduate when you go to the adult table, right? But all this to say, brothers and sisters, that this is what this is the imagery that God has for you. He has said, "Now you are my children." I will not relegate you to simply a person who would be out on the outskirts. Do you understand? You're not going to be on the outskirts. You're not going to be a servant. You're not going to be someone who I just put as an acquaintance in the whole cosmic order of things. What you will be is in my family. And you will have all the rights and privileges of a child of mine, such that you can cry out at any time, Abba, Father, help me. Abba, Father, I come to you. I need your help. That's why it says over and over again, this access that you now have, you have and you possess, as a brother, as a sister, as a son, as a daughter, in front of God has been ordained, planned, planned, purposed, purchased by the Son, and retrieved by the Spirit for you. He doesn't want you to be far off. Notice, he says, in Ephesians, go back to Ephesians. to verse 13 of chapter 2. But now, in Christ Jesus, you were formerly were far off. You've been brought near by the blood of Christ. So now, how, why should you praise him? It says here in Ephesians chapter 1, in Ephesians chapter 1, In love he predestined us to adoption of sons through Jesus Christ to himself, According to the kind of intention of his will that was his good pleasure it pleased him to do this it pleased him to make you a child through Christ which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved that is Christ and he says to the praise of the glory of his grace what is the driving motivation of God the father to do this why did he he wants to be committed in a relationship with you. He wants to be intimate in a relationship with you. Why did he do this? Paul says it's the same reason that God does anything to the praise of the glory of his grace. So that when we look at God the Father and we look through the eons of time as we, as we are saved and we go on to glory and we looked in the eons of time, We say, God, you did it. You did it. You chose me. We praise you. I can do nothing apart from that. Thank you so much. So, in review, give God the Father glory in planning your salvation because, number one, He established a divine commitment with you. And number two, He has established a divine intimacy with you. All in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much. Sometimes when we peer into your counsel and we peer into what you've done, we are amazed. We ask Father that we would be melted by what You've done on the cross, what Your Son has done on the cross, that we've been changed. Help us to even look and remember what Christ has done. Thank You so much for choosing us. We would have never chose You. We would have never picked You, Lord. The Bible says that we love because you first loved us. You had to make the first move. And we're so glad you did. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.